Welcome to McKnight's Long-Term Care Newsmakers Podcast, where we share the latest information and views from industry leaders. Hi, this is Kim Marcellus, Senior Editor at McKnight's Long-Term Care News. Matt Kane, Managing Director of Solit Capital Advisors, is here with me today to discuss the proposed federal staffing rule for nursing homes and how the potential regulations could impact the business of skilled nursing. Thanks for being here, Matt. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. So we've all had a few weeks now to digest the proposal. Let me first ask you for your overall reaction and maybe how realistic you think the various elements of the proposal might be given the current workforce and economic challenges in the sector. Sure. Well, I think we can certainly understand the impetus to try to bring some staffing measures or requirements to the industry. But I think in terms of the demographics in the sector and the challenges with staffing, the timing of this is highly problematic at best. This industry is suffering through staffing shortages, well-documented, increased labor costs, and just a workforce that's at its wit's end. Lots of burnout. I think some 135,000 employees, staff have left the industry, and there's some projections that up to a million could depart the industry by 2027. So they've been through a lot. Obviously, the pandemic was highly detrimental in terms of employee morale and work-life balance. And so to begin to try to balance that out in a sector that's already facing a lot of strain and stresses to ratchet up the staffing requirements, I think is just out of bounds relative to other needs of the of the sector. I get the impetus again for trying to overlay some staffing requirements, just given some of the you know, honestly, some of the horror stories that did occur through COVID and some of the many well-documented deaths and troubles with access to care. But again, I think there are other measures that could be implemented and supporting the industry with respect to staffing needs, as opposed to bringing sort of a punishment to enact something that is going to be highly costly and highly detrimental relative to the needs of, of the sector. Well, certainly a lot of people anxious about what that exact cost will turn out to be, and that will depend on the rule. But I'll tell you, I listen to a lot of earnings calls through my work here. And for the last year and a half, at least probably before that, during the pandemic, we certainly heard investors asking about agency, asking about staff availability. There has been this theme of worry about, is your operation something I want to invest in if you can't even get the people that you need to keep it operational? So my question then looking forward is what concerns you have about the effect of a staffing rule on investment in the SNF space? You know, do you expect potential buyers and investors, are they going to start asking more questions about staffing levels? And in particular, facilities ability to comply with this new rule two or three years down the road if it actually kicks in? Yeah, absolutely. No question. We're highly active serving as advisors, financial advisors, providing investment banking services and or capital restructuring support services, as well as operational support to many skilled nursing and some CCRCs in the sector as well. And time and time again, the shortages with respect to staffing continues to be a recurring theme and a key element of diligence inquiry with respect to would-be investors, partners, buyers. And that's only going to escalate. Buyers in the skilled nursing space are a bit more specialized. And while there are buyers of skilled nursing assets, the the market there for purchasers is relatively thin vis-a-vis pre-pandemic going back five plus years ago. 
relative to the universe of likely uh, acquirers of these assets. So more educated buyers, and they're well aware of the staffing challenges, the shortages in the industry. So a key area of diligence is their ability to understand the pipeline to have support of staff ongoing basis and not be sort of buying an asset that is understaffed or has very little pipeline with respect to ability to fill these positions. Now, coupled with staffing levels that would be required, the equation is out of balance. And so sort of more of the thesis of putting a thumb on the scale a bit too early here relative to some of the other challenges that need to be addressed, i.e. bringing more nurses, CNAs, LPNs to the industry, inducing, incentivizing them to get started earlier right out of college to get more folks involved in the industry to help alleviate some of these broader challenges. And just to piggyback off of that, when you talk about the pressures and the questions, the pipeline seems least, I'm going to say wide, I don't know if a pipeline is wide or deep, but but the pipeline seems least wide in rural areas. And we've seen, again, reporting here, just so many rural closures. Do you anticipate that when investors are maybe needed to shore up some of those rural properties that we're going to maybe hear no thank you more often because there isn't that pipeline in those locations? I think that's our reality. Look, these buyers want to deploy capital to the highest yielding asset, right? And so that's only human nature, capitalistic approach to investment. So if there are higher yielding assets can be acquired in larger markets vis-a-vis rural markets, then those in smaller markets not yielding as high a return are going to be crowded out, left behind. There's Some 21% of the U.S. population aged 65 plus located in counties without a licensed nursing home. Pretty sizable number. Don't see that going down. The population for the cohort 65 plus, some 55 million in 2020, expected to grow to 80 million plus by 2040. So that's not slowing down. The demand is certainly there, but can there be capital deployed to have those assets built in other areas other than concentrated urban markets. With this staffing measure, you're going to see more closures. And with those closures, folks are going to move to other markets where they have access to field nursing care would be the reality. So do you see those closures or other consequences happening even before or if this rule is kicked in? and actually finalized and whatever iteration starts to fall into place? Well, yes, there are some 600 fewer licensed nursing homes than there were six years ago. So there's some challenges, broadly speaking, well before any of this proposed staffing rule. Obviously, that goes in part to challenges with labor, but also demand some would-be uh, occupants aging in place longer, seeking care at lower cost levels of acuity, and some of these facilities being undercapitalized. So the graying of America is a demographic that is, has been widely documented. It's not slowing down, so would see more demand for those services continue to increase. But the reality of the industry is creating one where these facilities are going to be constructed in more populated areas, larger Mm -hmm. markets, and the tertiary markets is just going to be left behind. So do you see any way that a staffing rule is adopted in some form that doesn't impact access or potentially drive more providers out of business? Well, I think a key piece, again, is incentivizing 
students to enter the trade, the nursing industry to increase supply, but that's a longer term play. I think in the shorter term, providing some level of assistance to the industry to be able to support this level of staffing. I think staffing measures are helpful to the industry. Certainly there's well-documented CMS studies that increase levels of staffing result in higher levels of care or outcome. On the same token that those studies can't cite any specific single staffing levels that would work. So there's no per se right answer. And I get the administration's approach here. Well, we've got to start somewhere. So something is better than nothing, right? But I think a three-year window on urban setting providers and five years on the rule, I think that's too accelerated given all the challenges facing the industry. So how do you get the industry participants to play along and be fair from a government perspective to not be necessarily picking winners and losers? Those who are thinly capitalized can't absorb that cost. Those who have a deeper balance sheet, you're going to reward them in the long run would be the argument. So there's got to be some incentive to support the bringing on some additional staffing for those in lesser markets, smaller markets, and more thinly capitalized. That's obviously easier said than done, but otherwise there's just no way to incentivize these smaller organizations to bring on the staffing that is necessary. I think it's some 70, 75% of licensed skilled nursing homes that would immediately be below the threshold of this staffing level. And so there'd be a strong reaction to be able to respond to those required staffing levels. I've seen some discussion about hardship applications. So I would think that would be a window that most all the rural market providers are going to hit immediately to be able to have some ability to sidestep the staffing needs for some period of time, how long that is to be debated. But I think a five-year window is far too short. There's got to be some additional incentives to have some capital to support the staffing needs for these more thinly capitalized providers. I think that's everybody is hoping and maybe not holding their breath over, but certainly $75 $75 million for training is not much when you're talking about between who you, depending on who you ask, between four and $11 billion a year in expenses. You're just not really supporting the cause fully enough. I think that's the criticism of CMS at this point. So certainly let's keep in touch and you can tell us how this unfolds, you know, what you're seeing over the next few months and hopefully early in the year, maybe we'll see what CMS does in response to the thousands of comments. They're no doubt going to get on this, but Matt, I appreciate your insights for today. And for McKnight's, this is Kim Marcellus. Thank you for listening to McKnight's Long-Term Care Newsmakers podcast. For the latest in long-term care news, visit mcknights.com.